This is the Cotswolds People podcast, brought to you by Alistair James Insurance Brokers. My name's Alistair, and throughout this podcast, I'm going to be speaking with a variety of very special guests from the worlds of business, sports, music, literature, politics, and many more, all of whom have a connection to the Cotswolds area of outstanding natural beauty. Do please leave us a review or rating, and be sure to subscribe to the podcast to hear our latest guest interviews. This week, which is actually the last in the current series, I'm joined by broadcaster, writer and speaker, Pippa Gordon. Pippa, by her own admission, had a challenging time in her early years growing up and following this embarked on a journey through the Middle East and North Africa, doing a lot of charity work on her own journey of healing and self-discovery. A family emergency forced her to return to the UK and she soon found herself embarking upon a new journey one that took her from singing in London clubs, recording in Abbey Road Studios, and then working for the BBC, where her broadcasting career began. Probably one of my lifelong battles is knowing how to introduce myself. But my main my main work, I suppose, if I was to introduce myself from that perspective, has been that I've always been in BBC radio, and then I jumped across to commercial TV a few years later. So I've always been in, in broadcasting, but I've done singing and songwriting, and I, I do lots of writing, both music and otherwise. So yes, you're right, I do. I do have a fair few things that I like to put in the fire, so to speak. Iron's in the fire. And when we were first messaging, you were saying that you weren't quite sure whether you were a Cotswolds person, so to speak. But my last guest actually was Daniel Zara, who's the founder and CEO of the Cotswolds Distillery in Shipton on Ah, yes. Store, which I know I think, them, yes. Yeah, quite local to you, isn't it? So yeah, it is. I'm guessing you are a Cotswolds person, aren't you? I, mean, how... I am. And actually, my I, I ride, I used to ride with his wife. So oh, <laughs> okay. it's a small world. Um, yeah, actually, my grandfather owned the the White Heart in Stowe or ran the White Heart in Stowe back in the 60s. So now I, I was born down in Henley-on-Thames and I, I grew up in East Sussex, but over the last decade have moved back to the Cotswolds, back to my roots on my mother's side. So yeah. And obviously, like you said, so you've been here about about 10 years. In preparation for this, I did obviously a bit of reading and uh, it sounds like you've done a lot of traveling around and, and seen a lot of the world. What brought you back here finally? Was that just because where your roots were? or Well, what brought me back to the UK after I'd spent a few years overseas was the fact that my mum had a severe stroke that we thought she was going to die. So I was in the process of heading home. It just got sped up very, very quickly. Uh, and then a couple of years later, I got married to a Canadian and we lived in London for a number of years. And that's where the children were born but we parted company so in in that process of re-establishing new life and starting over I just wanted to kind of come away from the commuter belt I wanted to find somewhere that was much more kind of in touch with nature I am someone who's always loved the outdoors so I I came up to the Cotswolds a because that was my mum's roots but also because it was the middle of the UK and my ex-husband was a musician and he was on tour and from a practical perspective, I just wanted him to be able to visit the children as much as possible. So there were practical and emotional sides to that one. And it sounds like you, you've obviously very settled here now and, and you, and you love, love living here and all that the Cotswolds has to offer. Yeah, absolutely. Oh my gosh, we've got so much on our doorstep. We're really fortunate, aren't we? It's absolutely beautiful. 
especially during lockdown. Oh my God, I felt really bad. A lot of my social media posts on my beautiful walks and all these lovely surroundings that we have. And then you think of people that are cooped up in towns and flats and really restricted when it has come to movement. Obviously, that's all being lifted now. But at the beginning part of things, it, I kind of felt a little bit bad for showing how beautiful our surroundings are, but they truly are. I know we're very lucky. Uh, yeah, I think we're very fortunate. I know I've got friends that live in, have, have children and live in a flat that perhaps doesn't have in London all the outdoor space or the gardens. So uh, yeah, I am very grateful that we do we do have this area that you know, literally right on the doorstep. Yeah. How often do you commute to London? And is that uh, is that for work? Is that easy? Do you do it regularly? How I do you tend find to that? go up and down two or three day two or three days a week. Um, and actually, at first I struggled. It w- it was quite a shock to the system. But now it's a really good time just to listen to podcasts, to catch up with my sister or someone on the phone. It's become my time, me inside the car, and I actually treasure it now. So it's it's up and down the M40, which was which is a which is a long old boring road actually, unless you do something about it. <laughs> when you've done it a fair few times, you begin to know every nook and cranny. But yeah, it's it's not a bad commute. If I was doing it every day, it'd be different. And I don't tend to travel during rush hour time either, so that's quite fortunate. I don't sit in traffic. And how's it been the last few weeks? Because I need, obviously you mentioned lockdown. I mean, I've been very much in my own little bubble here in Cheltenham that I've not really gone far at all. So how have you found it the last few weeks as lockdown's been eased? Is it, how did you find it sort of going into London? Did you feel a bit anxious or? I was very fortunate in as much as we, I go door to door. So I didn't, I don't have to use public transport at all. And where we work, we put in anyone who could work from home went back home and that's where they worked. So we had a much scaled down broadcasting team. Uh, Everything became a one-way system. You you were literally followed with someone with an anti-back spray and if you touched anything, it got cleaned. So it became very sterile very quickly and nobody's been unwell at all, which which has been amazing. But I loved the quiet roads. Oh my gosh, just driving down through Woodstock and Oxfordshire and then jumping onto the M40 and, and especially coming back at night time, the amount of deer that were out on the road, so much more than usual. It was really quite exceptional. It was like going back to the 70s. Very strange. Just no traffic around at all. I know. And I think it makes you wonder how long that will continue for. I think loads of people now are saying they're not going to do that big commutes, you know, if they don't have to. And uh, I think that can be a good thing, really, can't it? Oh, definitely. And when you look at the impact that it's had on the environment, I think that that, that has been phenomenal to see. And just when you step outside and the sun's shining, the fact that everything looks so much brighter, I think is a direct impact to the fact that the air around us is cleaner. So I really hope that we do all take that step towards having a cleaner lifestyle. Although I have seen the roads in the last week have already got really quite busy, which I find sad, but it's inevitable. We'll see. We'll see how it turns out. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And how have you found it in terms of uh, what you do on the Q- on QVC channel? Has that been affected at all? I know obviously it's remote, so a lot of what you do, but has, has sort of retail and that sort of thing, have you noticed it in terms of what you specifically do? Has there been any change in the last weeks, months in terms of people purchasing and, and buying habits at it all? Definitely got a lot busier. I think because people couldn't go out and do things as they ordinarily would. They couldn't go and visit their garden centers. They couldn't go to you know, the nice butcher or the nice deli. You know, Especially our 
gardening side of things and our we have some lovely food shows that we do those got really really busy very quickly which was fascinating actually you could see that people were were trying to invest in their close environment being able to have nicer things in the garden invest in their plants and their flowers you maybe not go out for dinner because obviously we can't but bring in the ingredients and do things at home together and actually for us as a family we didn't do it massively, but we tried to do some dress up dinner parties. So we kind of went through this phase of doing dress up or or dress nice. So it it was one of these things that I've got two teenagers, 15 and 16, that they were on board with for a short period of time, but they tend to get bored quite quickly. So it didn't last long. I imagine that's a difficult age as well for lockdown, because when you're sort of mid to late teens, you're kind of wanting to just go out and see your friends and do stuff. So that must be quite hard having yeah. Yeah, 15 and 16 at that age. Yeah, definitely. My son's been very lucky. He's GCSE year. So they, and they got cancelled, which I think for a lot of kids was really hard. And there were lots of tears and lots of disappointment. And then there was the other bunch of kids like my son that were jubilant at the prospect <laughs> of not having to sit and do all of those exams. And, and he was fortunate because he had a Saturday job in the local butcher, which has remained open all through lockdown. And he's been working five days a week because they, similarly to a lot of online retailers, the local food suppliers have also been that bit busier because there's been less shops open and people have been traveling less far. So somewhere like a local butcher in the Cotswolds, of course, has been really busy. So he's been lucky and he's now almost saved for his car when he starts to drive in a couple of months time. But my daughter, who's 15, has really struggled like so many other girls. They're so relational, you know, they like to hang out together and see each other and just be and, and that's been hard. So social media, I guess, is that, uh, you know, Facebook and stuff is that, I guess, the best way of communicating with her friends or have you found yourself, you having to actively do more and sort of say, look, I'm gonna make a real effort today and, and do something nice, you know, to keep, keep them happy. Yeah, definitely. It has at first, I thought that it would be really fun for them and that, that, you know, they all set up, I mean, the weekend that was just before the schools closed, my daughter moved all of her stuff downstairs into my office and she set up school and she was really excited and got made sure she had all the apps ready so they could all t- chat to each other. And within 48 hours, she didn't enjoy having to communicate through the app and absolutely just cut off from all of it. And then suddenly it was very much about mom <laughs> you know? mm. and she became my shadow. And it was And it was interesting because, like you said earlier on, you know, I have done a lot of traveling over the years and I've done a lot of going off to do my own thing. And I, right at the beginning, we were walking around the park at Stratford-upon-Avon, just walking around the RSC and we were talking about what this was going to look like. And I said to her, you know, this is an amazing opportunity for you to decide what you want to do with your education, what to do with your time, where you're not actually being restricted by a system or a timetable. And actually, if you find a different way of studying that works for you, you know, do it. Let's go for it. Let's find our way. Let's find the way that really does work for you which has been interesting because actually she's gone through lots of different guises of what that looked like. She put up a tent in the garden for a while and she started doing a project on the 50s because she is quite fascinated by different eras. So we we kind of went down these little lanes of discovery to see what actually worked. But now she's 
you know, obviously there's still GCSEs coming next year. There's still schoolwork to be done. So she's finding that balance between finding her own way whilst still meeting the needs of the education system that she's within. Because it's hard. Systems are set up all around us and we are actually quite restricted by those but yet at the same time, they are necessary to get, I always say to the, the children, it's like playing Monopoly. It's just getting to the next level. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's funny when we, when it first started a bit like you, so we've got, well, we've got three boys, um, two, four and six. Oh, and wow. <laughs> so it's been, it's been full on, but at the start we were very much like, you know, on a, we'll, we'll get you put in on a weekday, you can wear a school uniform. We'll, we'll make, treat it like school. And it was all really exciting. And they watched Joe Wicks in the morning, had a real routine, but it has been hard. I found certainly the last, especially when you're juggling work as well. And it's kind of, it slips and it slips and you have to make a real effort, I find, just to try and to bring it back in and try and give them a bit of structure and a, and a bit of routine because it, it is very easy for it just to to slip really and they end up, you know, a day's gone by and they haven't really done anything constructive really. It's it's hard. Especially with um, three boys. I imagine that's like three bouncy balls at times. <laughs> it feels like it. I feel like I'm a referee a lot of the time actually. <laughs> so you stop hitting him, put him down. But uh, Yeah, yeah. They'll catch up though. They, you know, they, they always do. I mean, there's been all all manner of different things over the years through our lifetimes and our parents and grandparents lifetimes and you know and you look at other countries that don't even start their children going to school till seven and eight mm. it all I think it will all come out in the wash eventually it's it's not without its hurdles but at the same time it's had so many other positives for families to be able to be at home and discover new ways of doing things yeah definitely and loads of people are learning new things so have you, I mean have you have you taken up anything new or have you done something that you perhaps hadn't done previously now you've put in lockdown? I have to say I have been very envious of those people that I have seen showing paintings that they have done and new baking, this, that and the other, because I've continued to work. I've continued to commute up and down to London and I have been dragged back through quadratic equations and chemistry and all kinds of different GCSE things that are well over 30 years back in the recess of my memory. So I haven't had the chance to do anything like that, but I have really enjoyed just the peace around going for go, going for walks with my daughter a lot because obviously she's been at my side a lot of the time and just enjoying that extra bit of peace. So I guess what I have done is embraced the peace around us whilst still keeping going and being busy and looking after my mum who now she lived with us for a couple of years when she first came out of hospital and we rehomed her last year but she's just down the road and she's actually very dependent on me to bring her food and do her shopping and she's half paralyzed so there's a lot that she can't do and she ended up in hospital right at the beginning of lockdown she had a fall in the middle of the night so so actually there's still been quite a, a lot going on but I know lots of people have taken up all kinds of wonderful things that have been brilliant to see. Yeah, definitely. So, and your mum now, is she, can you include her in sort of these bubbles now, don't we? So I can't, join- I can't because only we have stepsons. So we, who lived, who have, have very asthmatic. So we actually didn't see them until February. So we bubbled with them first before mum was able to come and bubble with us. And I can't, I, I don't know yet if I'm allowed to put her in the car. We had this conversation just yesterday. I think now that we're allowed two families as of whenever it is, is it next week? We're allowed two families in the mm, house at one so, time. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, I might be able to her at that stage, but I haven't yet been able to get her out of her house. No, but the time will come. Hopefully, fingers crossed. Yes. Yeah, soon. <laughs> 
Um, and so talking about your work that you, you just saying on, on QVC, you, I get the impression you love going live for one of a, a better expression in terms of live broadcasting rather than recorded. Is that, is that yes. true to say? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I've, I've done some documentary making and pre-recorded things over the years. And I, I just don't enjoy them in the same way as, you know, like you and I just talking right now, just having connection with people in the moment is always been something that I've really enjoyed. And I think having cut my teeth back in radio when I first started working to then go from live radio into non-live for me particularly would have just been a really, really difficult thing to do. I watch people who create documentaries and television series where I, I can see that it's been pre-recorded, you know, the David Attenboroughs of this world, and they put so much energy into it. And it's so amazing. And I'm like, I could do it once, but ask me to repeat anything for a second time. And I'm absolutely <laughs> stuffed. It's a whole new skill set. So yeah, I'm definitely an in the moment person. Brilliant. And how did you get into it, in the broadcasting with the radio that came first? Well, I had, so I'd been overseas for a number of years and I'd always seen myself going down the route of being a singer-songwriter and going into theatre. And that was always what I had expected. So when I came back from travelling, I was in London and I was auditioning for various roles and I was doing a theatre course and I just kind of finished doing a whole load of performing arts kind of things to try and get myself into the industry. And I saw I had an agent who was just sending out various different jobs of this, that and the other. And I saw an early morning travel broadcasting job uh, that was being advertised. And I thought, well, that's perfect. It'd be early morning. I could get up, do that. It was based at police motorway control in Surrey on the M25. I thought I could do that. And then I could spend the rest of the day auditioning and doing all the things that I need to do to progress my career in that direction. And so I went and I auditioned and I got the job and I started broadcasting. At the end of my first week of doing my travel reports on the Friday, my managing editor rang across to police motorway control and he said, could you pop into the studios on your way home? And at first I was really worried that I'd done something wrong. And, and I kind of racked my brains through the week. I'm like, I can't have done. I've only been here five days. It's, it's nerve wracking as anything, but I think, I think it must be all right. Maybe he's going to ask me to, you know, do, do a radio drama because my head was so into theater at that stage. So I got myself all excited that maybe he might ask me to read a radio drama or something like that. And I, and I got into his office and he said to me, it has become clear to me that you are not a reporter. And I thought, Oh oh, this is all going to go really wrong. He said, you are a presenter and I need someone to do the Saturday breakfast show, which was phenomenal because I so didn't see that coming. And it was, it was tricky because I literally, I was, I was fresh blood, as they say. And there were many people who had been at the radio station for a long time. And then I was just, I was thrown this show and I had no experience of broadcasting whatsoever. Suddenly I was doing a three hour you know, it's BBC radio, so it's majority talk. You were allowed to play four songs an hour. And I was doing a lot of news. It was during, I think it was the Kosovo War. Oh gosh, I can't even remember now. When was it? Mid nineties. But it, there was a lot of news going on. There was a, there was a, a lot to get my head round very, very quickly. And it was a huge learning curve. And I was nervous as anything for 
forever. I remember saying to a friend, I can't live like this. <laughs> I was just constantly sweaty palmed and absolutely terrified. But th- it was just one of those things. It was a, a sequence of events where as life often does, where one thing leads to another. And when you're open and you're willing and you're game and you're brave and you take those chances, the door, the next door opens when the time comes. So that's really how I got into broadcasting. I kind of fell into it. Mm, it sounds like you're a, a natural from the from the get go. A chatterbox, it, perhaps. <laughs> well, it helps, doesn't it? A radio. It does. Crikey. It really does. <laughs> and so, how long were you doing that for before you moved into commercial television? I did that for about six years, and at the same time, I then started. So I was still singing. I was still doing lots of writing, and I was working with a songwriter at that stage. And I was, and and during that process, I'd also got married. And then I had started singing with a songwriter and we were doing, we, we were gigging in the evening. We were given some phenomenal recording opportunities at Abbey Road Studios. And we were, we were working some really, really long hours. So I'd got that on one side and then I had early morning radio. And at that stage with radio, I was doing shows six days a week in the morning. So I was working at the extreme ends of the day. And then I got married and it was just, balancing everything and and my husband was a jazz musician who was really struggling to find work and and I'd had QVC knock on my door for a while at this stage and I I didn't want to do it I was really enjoying BBC radio and I was really enjoying singing and performing but none of those things were earning any money and with a jazz musician also not earning money one of us had to take a job that was a little bit more uh, secure, should I say. So that's when QVC came in actually and saved the day in many ways because we were really struggling at that point. So it was originally what I thought was probably just a six month contract, but I have been there 22 years and it became the family that I never had and it became the stability that I never knew growing up. And actually, it's been a phenomenal journey in a way that I never anticipated it to be. So yeah, I've been very lucky. Oh, fantastic. Um, and did you always have that? I mean, when you were doing it, it sounds like with the singing and the songwriting, was that always, did you always think, oh, I'll come back to that one day? And it, you know, was it always just always in the back of your mind that you thought you might always do it and perhaps didn't? Or, or was there a time where you just thought, I'm going to have to part this now and shelve it and, and just stick to the, the sort of the BBC and the QVC side of it? Yeah. When the children were born, so, um, Miles was born in 2003 and then Ophelia, my daughter came along months later so there's a 12 and a half month gap between the two of them and and at that stage I was recording an album Uh, we had a studio at home at that point so I was quite fortunate that I could put children to bed and and record and and work during the night but it was absolutely exhausting and I was also working in television at the time and I and I I reached that crossroads where I was like I I can't do everything. I'm a very hands-on parent. I'd had a really negative upbringing myself. So for me, the most important aspect of my life was the family. And so I knew that I couldn't pursue everything. I had to stay working in television. That paid our bills. I didn't want to not be the parent that was always there for the children. And I certainly didn't want to. And at that time, you see, that's when social media, there was a 
there was a platform called MySpace. So it was before artists were using all of the different Twitters and Facebooks and Instagrams and things that we see these days. So MySpace was about the only thing that you had. And I would go in to see record execs and things like that. And they were already transitioning the way their A&R guys would follow new artists. And they wouldn't go and trawl all the clubs. They would actually check out your following that you had on MySpace and that and then clubs in return gigging in London you had to guarantee to them a certain amount of people to come along before they'd even book you and with a one-year-old and a two-year-old or a baby and a one-year-old even they were even smaller at that stage I just couldn't I just didn't have the time so I, I laid it to rest at that point thinking I've had a good run I've recorded in some amazing studios I've done some great things and I thought actually I've experienced a lot of what I wanted to experience. And, and at that stage, I thought, I'll just, I'll leave it. And I did. So actually it was, it was, it was good. It was difficult, but it was a good decision that definitely was the right decision to make. Didn't, didn't make it easy, but it was the right decision. Oh, brilliant. And um, you've, you've mentioned it a couple of times, you had a, perhaps a, a difficult start in life. Is that, how much has that shaped your, your future and where you're at now? I think it's really shaped it. Um, I started off with a physical disability, which meant I had to wear calipers, you know, like Forrest Gump uh, for the first seven years of my life. My When I first started trying to walk, I would fall straight back down again. So, And it turns out my ligaments weren't, so I had hypermobility, but also my ligaments weren't attached to my shin bones. So they had to they had to manipulate and influence the way that my legs developed. And for those first few years of starting to walk and learning to walk, I had to have these metal bars up the sides of my leg, both in the day and at nighttime. And they said to me that I probably would never be able to walk or run properly. And that was something that I had brothers and I was just a, a ball of energy. So it was a really difficult time. And I think right back then was when this sense of resilience and determination began to bubble up inside me this kind of feistiness that was like you might tell me that but I'm not accepting it because I want to be able to run and kick a football and climb a tree and and be out and about like the rest of the kids were back then in the 70s so I think that very much shaped it at at the beginning and then there was there was a whole journey of mental health issues within the family that that caused a lot of violence, that caused a lot of distress. I ended up having to go into care in my mid-teens for a while. Lots of different things occurred over the years that brought me into my early 20s where I ended up having a mental breakdown. And that's when I decided that I needed to leave the country. And that's when I started traveling because I realized I'd gone through this childhood of never knowing who I was. There'd been a lot of trauma. There'd been a lot of pain. There'd been a lot of abuse. And I felt that I had to make this physical distance to go and, and find myself. So I, I left and then I came back a number of years later, like I said, when mum had had her stroke. And I think it's, it's really um, shaped who I am today, just going into broadcasting and the podcast that I do. So it's called Inside My Wardrobe because physically that's where I record, but it's also a double meaning because the entire focus of the content within the podcast is marrying up the person we are on the inside with the person that we are on the outside. And I think 
that journey of discovering who we are is so vital to finding fulfillment in life, to actually walking our own paths rather than following in the path of someone else and just living like the ants, you know, walking along in a line without questioning. I think my childhood and my upbringing very much formed in me this this questioning and curious side of my personality that goes, well, just because we've always done it that way, is it right? Is it wrong? And who am I? And what do I want? So that's very much the essence of the podcast and also broadcasting. It's funny because even selling things on TV, I've always said, I'm just there to keep you company. I'm just there to have that connection with you whilst you're making up your mind. I don't, I don't look at it as selling. I just look at it as being there and chatting to people. And that's actually, I think, one of the things that's kept it going for me for so many years. It's that connection with one another. Everyone's got stories to tell. Everyone's got their place on the planet. So yeah, I think it really shaped me hugely. It amazes me sometimes you say, you know, what's happening on the inside, how that marries up with what people see on the outside. You know, the number of times, especially with social media like Instagram and that sort of thing, you know, I've seen it a lot of people that you think do a lot of selfies and they're out and about and seem really happy. And then you'll see a post that they're, you know, they've been that for years they've been struggling with I don't know, depression or anxiety. And you just have no idea that that, that was the case. But we all, I guess, deal with things differently and perhaps hide things and want to give out this perception that doesn't actually you know, necessarily exist, does it? No, and, and I do think there's a balance because at the same time, when we when we carry things that we're battling with, you don't you don't want to wear those all the time either because they you don't want to wear them as your identity. When you're trying to walk through something, you're also trying to come out the other side. And I think that was definitely part of my journey back in my late teens and going into my twenties was I didn't want to be the victim. I didn't want it to be something that I wore. And I think it does. Social media really allows people to wear a mask a lot. And I think there's an element of mask wearing that can help someone find themselves, but to the to get you to the point where you can then put the mask down. And I think the worry with social media is that people then think their identity is the mask, as opposed to a device that at one point helped them discover who they were. And and even worse from there, people judge their own personal lives, warts and all, based on the masks that they see other people wearing, and they don't get to see the entire picture. And that's something that I've done a lot on social media over the last few years is make sure I do IGTVs not wearing a scrap of makeup. You know, I'm coming up to 48. I've got lines on my face. I'm, you know, and I, when I have no makeup on and there's days that I look tired, doesn't mean I always put makeup on. You don't, you don't have to have your face on to show the world who you are. And I, I did, um, I did a challenge about a year ago, actually, to people just to, I just said, just go naked, obviously, face wise. I'm like, just go somewhere you would ordinarily go, whether it's the supermarket, the school run to work, don't wear a scrap of makeup and make yourself just be that person. It's a, it's a really vulnerable thing to do when you're used to always wearing a mask, even on a daily basis. And the feedback that people gave, it was so amazing. So many emails and comments of people going, oh my gosh, that was the most powerful and liberating experience because people start to lean on those masks. But when they start to throw them aside and realize they've actually got the strength within to be who they are, it's, it's an incredible journey. 
I heard you say on one of your other podcasts, oh, other episodes, that uh, you're quite inspired by the song by Talk Talk, Life is What You Make It. Yeah. So it's a good uh, to try and live your life by, I suppose. Well, it's funny because that was a real, it's daft, isn't it? That I was actually writing about it just a couple of weeks ago. It was a really pivotal moment. So I think it was 19, I looked it up, it was 1986, 87 when they had that hit. And I remember being at, a friend's house and the sun was shining and we were I think we'd all been kicked out of the pub because back then pubs closed at like two o'clock in the afternoon and we'd all kind of just it was the middle of the summer holidays gone back to someone's house and and I just remember there was eight or nine of us just all lolloping about and someone just got everyone to be quiet to go oh I love this song I love this song and 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 it began to play and and the chorus is your life is what you make it and I remember it's the most bizarre moment it's funny how the smallest of things can be so incredibly life-changing for us it was in that lyric that I realized that I had a choice and actually because I'd come and I was in the midst of a very abusive family a very unhappy childhood and I really wasn't in a good place at all and I still had a, a number of years to keep going along that path but in that moment I realized I possibly could change things going forwards and it took a while but I got there but yeah it was a really big moment because we do have control it's not about what happened in the past that matters it's about what happens next and how we're gonna influence that which I think is really important at, at the moment, isn't it? When people are being affected in so many ways, both in terms of livelihood and businesses, but also, you know, there will be people that have, you know, lost loved ones because of coronavirus. So it's just trying to, yeah. as you say, make, make the best of best, best you can. Oh, absolutely. And there, there is no doubt that there has been some horrendous tragedies that have been exacerbated and in, in many ways so very unnecessary over the last few months. And for many people, you know, just a, a good friend of mine just last week suddenly got made redundant, just one of thousands and thousands of people whose lives are being completely and utterly turned upside down. And it is hard. There's no denying the fact that it's really difficult when life suddenly changes course. But that is what life does. And for all of us at some stage or another, we will come across mountains and hurdles and things that we fall down. But it's about how we deal with them because we we can choose at that point what happens next. No, it's brilliant. No, and I, I do encourage people to listen to your podcast, Inside My Wardrobe. It's uh, a lot of inspiring stuff. And if people perhaps want a little bit of uh, just hearing somebody else talk about things like that I think it can it can help a lot can't it so thank you yes I think and I think hearing each other's stories I think sometimes the self-help industry can be full of being told what to do but actually when you hear other people's stories I find those I don't know about you but I find them really exhilarating really inspirational that's why I love what you're doing you're telling local people's stories and I think for all of us that's that helps build that fabric of who we are and the story of where we live it's fabulous I loved hearing Pippa talk so positively there about her own experiences and turning what was clearly a difficult childhood for Pippa into a positive and how to come out stronger after suffering through a negative time, a lesson to us all. There will be a second series of Cotswolds People later on this year, so do please make sure you subscribe so you can hear these as soon as they're released. This podcast was brought to you by Alistair James Insurance Brokers of Cheltenham. We provide personal insurance for high-value homes and contents, including fine art, collectibles, jewellery and watches, and for commercial insurance, a variety of sectors, including commercial property, 
liability and construction. Visit our website ajamesinsurance.co.uk and see the link to it in our show notes or follow us on all the usual social media channels to find out how we can help with all your insurance requirements.